At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you here today. I want to begin with a date. I want to give you a specific date, and it's an important date. The date is December 5th, 2007. December 5th, 2007. The event that occurred on that date was, that was the date that the Detroit Tigers acquired a slugger by the name of Miguel Cabrera. We sent a whole bunch of prospects, a whole bunch of guys who might be good for a 24-year-old who, as you guys know, has become rather impressive. So that date and that event created the result of more than a decade of historic baseball accomplishments, including, as many of you know, for uh, those of you who are following the Tigers this year, Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th career home run just last month. It's that date. That date not only created one of the most lopsided trades in Major League history, but most importantly, it laid the foundation for a decade of great baseball in Detroit. It was a defining moment for the Detroit Tigers and for all of us who are Detroit Tigers fans. Now, culturally speaking, the idea of a defining moment doesn't just happen in Major League Baseball. Culturally speaking, when we talk about defining moments, there are many of them. You can find them in many different spots, many different locations throughout history. Specifically, I'll just pull out a few from our area for the auto industry. May 17th. 1996, that was a defining moment because that's when General Motors purchased the Renaissance Center in downtown Detroit. May 17th, 1996. Bring it a little closer to home. August 18th, 1999. Anybody know what happened in our area, in this community, on that particular date? Walmart moved in next door. It opened for business right here in our hometown of White Lake. Now, for the White Lake campus, I want to make it a little more personal. February 2nd, 2014. You guys know what happened then? February 2nd, 2014. The room in which we are worshiping today was officially opened. We opened our doors in this new worship center on February 2nd, 2014. Amen. That's right. (laughs) You see, all of those moments created those moments to define us either as a sports fan, as a culture, as a community. They shape us and they change the way things move and flow from that point forward. Defining moments. Today we're going to be looking at a portion of scripture that helps you and I see, but not only see, it's going to help us see and understand and grab a hold of the idea of this defining moment 
that happen in the life of all believers. Of all believers. We're going to see that in just a moment. But before we do, let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have invited us here today to worship you. God, as a church community, it is our privilege to celebrate with Zachary because of what you have done in his life. We give you praise for that today. We acknowledge that that is not something that he did, but that is something that you did, that you brought life change in his life. So God, we're grateful for that. But God, every single person here today, every single person watching online is on a journey of some kind, some kind of faith journey. And God, we pray that wherever you find us today, whether we've been walking with you for a very long time or we're just figuring out what it means to journey with you, we pray today that you would meet with us that you would meet with us, that you would guide us into the truth of your word, God, because this is all we have. This is all we need. Your word is truth, and God, we stand upon this truth today. So give us eyes to see it clearly. We ask for ears to hear this truth. And then, Lord, give us humble hearts to walk out this truth in the week ahead, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is part three of our sermon series that is titled, Newish. Now, in this series, what we've been doing is we have been working through the heart of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome. It is a book in the New Testament called Romans. Now, as I've mentioned in each of those past few weeks, uh, again, this is part three, so each of the past two weeks, what I've done is I've encouraged you to uh, join along with our Woodside reading plan. Because what we're going to do over the course of the fall is we want you to be engaging with the whole of the book of Romans. As I've mentioned before, we're just going to look at the small segment of five, six, seven, and eight, right in the heart of Romans. But we want you to understand the whole book in all of its context. And so I want to encourage you, if you have not yet done that, follow along, jump on our website, and please be reading it along as we unpack it here on Sunday mornings. But as I have established in each of those past two weeks, Romans is so important for every single person here today. It's so important because what it does is it sets a foundation for you and me for our Christian faith. It sets that foundation for us to understand the core doctrines and truths of our faith. What we're going to see today is a very significant text that lays out very clearly what I'm talking about. So let me encourage you to grab your Bibles, and we're going to turn to Romans chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, uh, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But I do want to encourage you, if you do have your Bible, pull it out, grab your mobile device, go to your Bible app, and, uh, and read along with me as we turn to Romans 6. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses. Romans 6, 1 through 7. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been unified with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be unified with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Would you believe it if I just told you that what we just read is a defining moment for every person here in, within the sound of my voice, if you're watching online or here in person, every single person who has a faith in Jesus Christ, that what we just read is a defining moment. Would you believe that? Would you believe it if I told you that the text we just looked at is the key to experiencing an authentic, Christ-centered journey of faith? Would you believe it? Well, my job today is to spend about the next 25 minutes or so showing you, guiding you, teaching you, and helping you to see that Romans 6, verses 1 through 7, reveals to everyone what it means to have a healthy, vibrant journey with Jesus. What we just read. That is going to be key to our journey. So let's unpack it together. Let's look a little more closely and dig in a little more deeply at that first portion, that first segment of Romans 6 together. That's where Paul makes this bold, big, very clear declaration. He said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Huge question, and he gives a bold answer, by no means. He says emphatically, by no means. Let me put that another way, absolutely not. Seems like there's a lot of passion in that text, doesn't it? I mean, when we look at that particular passage, he asks this question and he gives this emphatic, absolutely not kind of statement. What is, what is that passion rooted in? What is that passion all about? Because he wants you and I to know, those who have faith in Christ to know, that everything is different. All of it. Everything is different for those who have turned from the sinful life given to us by Adam, for those who've repented of our sin and believed upon the Lord Jesus, for those who have heard and responded to the call of the gospel, for those who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul can say definitively that believers should no longer walk in the ways of Adam. Because justification has already taken place. 
I'm going to say that one more time because justification has already taken place. Remember this verse we looked at last week, Romans 5, 18. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. That was Adam. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and to life for all men. Our lives have been forever changed. One act, one man. Everything has changed because of Christ. Skip down a few verses in Romans 5. Romans 5, 21. As sin reigned in death, again, Adam, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What it doesn't say is grace also might reign through righteousness, period. It is only through Jesus Christ that that's experienced. It is only through the actions of Christ on the cross that sinful men and women like you and like me might be made right with a holy God. Only Jesus. Because it is only through faith in His work that we are united to Him. It is only through faith that we have unity or union with Christ. And so therefore, his death for our sin becomes our death to sin. I'm going to say that one more time. His death for our sin on the cross becomes our death to sin. Church, this helps us see the first of two truths that Paul wants us to grab a hold of this morning. In Christ, we died to sin. Through faith in Jesus, we have died to sin. And as soon as that first point rolls off my tongue, I can imagine that there are a couple of questions that come to mind. Does this mean, are you saying that believers never sin? Or the second question, does this then mean that Christ followers, because we've been forgiven, can do whatever we want? Are are you saying that, Pastor? Is that what this text is saying? Allow me to be direct here and answer those questions very clearly. No and no. Let's continue reading to see what I mean. Let's pick it up at the second half of verse 6. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Question mark. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too... You and I, those who have faith, we might walk in newness of life. Paul's question is pretty clear though, isn't it? How can we live in sin? How can we participate in sin? How can we enter into sin? How can we practice sin when we've been made dead to sin through Christ? 
How can that continue? How can that go on? The truth is, it is a great question Paul poses for you and for me and for all who read this text. A pastor and a theologian by the name of James Montgomery Boyce once said this about this text. I would go so far as to say that Romans 6.2 is the most important verse in the Bible for believers. So if you are in Christ today, wrap your mind around this verse. Highlight it. When I told you to grab your phone, highlight that. Take a screenshot of it. 6-2 is what you need to know. It's 6-2 is what I need to know. And I need to wrap my mind around it. I need to reflect upon it. I need to consider it. So how can believers continue in sin? We can't. We can't. Because of our union with Christ, we've been made new. We've become different. We've been made spiritually alive. And because we've been made spiritually alive, what that means is our desire to sin Our want to sin has been transformed into a desire to live in the grace of God. The desire to sin is overcome, is transformed in our desire to live in the grace of God. Now, I guess that some of you right now are probably thinking, well, Pastor, that sounds really nice. That sounds kind of religious, and I'm, and I'm sure that's what you're supposed to say. But what does that look like on Tuesday morning when I walk into the office and I face all kinds of temptations? What does that happen on a Thursday evening when stress is rising and rising and rising in my home? When I face legitimate temptation, what am I supposed to do? That's when you and I need to reflect upon Jesus and recognize that He is our holiness and our holiness comes through Him. To know that we cannot go back because we are dead to sin. We have been raised to new life in Christ. Church, that's exactly why Paul references baptism multiple times in this text. This text isn't necessarily about baptism, but what Paul does is he uses baptism as an illustration to, to produce or to create or for us to understand a much greater, a much greater truth. You see, baptism, what Zachary just did in that tank, is a public declaration of something that has already happened, that's already taken place in the life of the believer. It's a defining moment. It's a defining moment in the life of a Christ follower because it is a public declaration or a public display of your faith in Christ. I want to be very clear. Zachary's baptism did not save him. By going under the water and coming back up, that did not magically save him. 
The act of baptism did not provide forgiveness. Nor did it for you, for those who've been baptized. Zachary and Anthony and John, who will be baptized in our second service, they are saved, they are forgiven, they are redeemed, they are made righteous because of their union with Christ Jesus. That's why they are saved, because of what he did for them on the cross and for their faith in that work. It's not the baptism. The baptism is a display. And when we have that union with Christ, when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, we are empowered to die to sin and to live in grace. To live in grace. Now to understand how this works in a practical way, I want those of you who are married to consider the married life for a moment, okay? Everybody with me? Happily married bunch, aren't we? Once you had your wedding, that wedding day, whether it was amazing or not quite what you hoped it would be, when you had that wedding experience, you did not go back to living a solo life. You didn't go to separate homes. You didn't go to separate bank accounts. You didn't live separately. You lived together. You began a life together. You began doing life together, building a family. You were empowered to do married things. You began starting a family. You began establishing a home. You invested in time and in each other. And you did that every day. You're married now, so you live accordingly. Here's what you didn't do. You didn't go back to dabble in singleness. You didn't say, hey, I, I like being married, but, but I think I'm going to go back and live with my buddies in our apartment. That's not what you did. You began living as a married person. And this is a picture of what you and I should experience when we've been born again, when we've been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We should no longer live as people who are not saved, who have not been redeemed, who are still in sin. The reality is we're not. We've been made righteous through Jesus Christ. What Paul's teaching in this text is that we are to make a clean break from our past life. And he gives us a vivid picture of that in baptism. It's a vivid picture. This is why he writes in verses 3 and 4, all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We might walk in it. We might walk differently. Our journey changes at that point and it is in this newness of life that's found only in Christ it is only through faith in Jesus and his perfect life 
in his sacrificial death and in his glorious resurrection. That's the only way that that happens. Now today we have the privilege, as I've mentioned, of celebrating three baptisms, Zachary here in the first and then uh, two more in the second. And I hope you caught this, that when Zachary came out of that water, you guys did what? You started cheering. You started clapping and hollering and celebrating with Zachary and with his family. You see, when we do that, what we're doing is we're identifying with people who have identified with Christ and with his death. Friends, if you were here this morning and you want that reminder in your life, you've never submitted to the waters of baptism, allow me to encourage you to get baptized. Not because it saves you, but because it is a visual and it is a public display of the faith that is already at work in your life. It's a public display to others that we might join you in celebrating what God has done. If you're sitting here today and the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart, you'd say, you know what, I need to take that step. I've never been baptized. I want to encourage you, pull out the bulletin, there's a little tear-off sheet there, go ahead, tear that out and say, I want to be baptized. If you didn't grab a bulletin, head out to our welcome center after the service and tell someone, I want to be baptized. We'd love the privilege of serving you in that way. And I highlight that because we place a high value on baptisms. We do them about every other month. Now, here's the cool thing. That means God's at work in the lives of people. And so that's an encouragement. You guys are aware that Woodside merges churches. Sometimes we come and we, we partner with a church who has reached out to us and said, please, would, would, you, would you partner with us in ministry? The last church that we merged with, the Downriver Campus now, they had a baptistry that they had not used in years, in years. And we get to celebrate what God is doing in the lives of men, women, and children here at our campus often. So if you're ready to take that step, let me encourage you to do that today. Because baptism models that you are united with Christ in his death. But it also models something else. Let's return to the text, Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in his resurrection like his. Because you and I have been united with him in his death, that's why we go underwater. That's that symbolism that we get immersed under the water. It's a picture of dying. We're dying to our old self. Now, thankfully, Ben didn't hold Zachary under. That'd be a problem. <laughs> he didn't hold him under because that's only half the story. 
The second half of the story is that when he bursts out of that water, what he's modeling is a new life in Christ. I am dead to sin. I've been raised to life. It's a celebration. That's why we clap. That's why we cheer. Because this is a vivid picture of the union that believers have in the resurrection of Christ. When we talk about the death of Jesus, if you're new to our church, you might think, man, that sounds depressing. There is death. But there's also resurrection. There's also resurrection. This is why Paul says that Christ followers are united with him in his death, just like Jesus, and we will be united with him in his resurrection like his. This means that you and I can walk in the newness of life with great hope for our future because we will be raised to new life. In Christ, believers will be raised to new life. Paul teaches this to the church in Rome and to all who are reading this letter. That means you and me 2,000 years later. Believers have the hope of resurrection. But I want you to know that this is not just some future plan. Oftentimes when we think about being raised to life, we can think about, well, yeah, that's a future reality. But when we look at the text, we keep reading about the newness of life. It's a present reality for God's people. That is a present reality for God's people. This is why author Eugene Peterson describes our journey this way. He says, we keep company with Jesus. Alive and present. You and I walk with Jesus. That's why I use the terminology so often that we are on a journey of faith. We are walking with Christ. We are experiencing tremendous joys. We are struggling with mysteries that we don't understand and we look forward with great hope. We look forward with hope because of what we have in Christ. Now, let's look at the last portion of today's text. And we'll see where all of this doctrine that we're covering today, all of this theological truth, where it is leading us. Let's look back. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. I want to highlight two phrases in that text, two phrases. The first one is the old self. Paul references the old self. The second one is that we are set free from sin. Paul closes this section of the text with a contrast. He sets up this old man referring to you before you placed your faith, before you placed your trust in Jesus. And he says, that old man was crucified. What happens at a crucifixion? What happens at a crucifixion? You die. 
It's a clean break. That's the old man. The old man is gone. In its place is a person that has been set free from sin. This means that through faith in Christ, believers are set free from the bondage of sin. We are set free from being enslaved to it. Practically speaking, that, this means that you are no longer enslaved by that, that pressure to please everyone. You are no longer enslaved to be the, the smartest guy in the room or the smartest guy in the office. You are no longer enslaved to the temptation of alcohol or recreational drugs or pornography or whatever it is that you are struggling with. You're no longer enslaved to it. Paul wants Christ followers like you and me to know that Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that you might be forgiven. He did. But he also wants you to know that he died on the cross to set you free. That you might have life. Church, that's the defining moment. That is the defining moment in the history of the church and that is the defining moment in the life of everyone here who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Everyone. Because you no longer have to walk in sin. Remember, you're dead to sin. Instead, you have the freedom, you have the power to walk in righteousness. Remember, you've been given new life. So this week when temptation comes, and it will, this afternoon when temptation comes, Pause to reflect upon the powerful doctrinal picture that we have looked at today in this text. The power of Christ on a cross, dying that you might live. Because it is only through Christ, through his perfect life, through his sacrificial death, and through his resurrection that you and I can experience new life ourselves. Because it's our union with Him. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.